Tonight for our missions update, we've been uh, paying attention to learning about some of the latest updates from our our missionaries, but I wanted to take a moment and just focus our attention on the places around us and the ways that we can pray for them. You'll notice there, the first one is the school bus. A number of us have been praying for that. I shared a little bit this morning about the need to pray for the students on there. But this year, there are more students coming into Manchester to get on that bus because they've reduced the bus routes. And I am hopeful that the Lord uses us in their lives of the students, that things got changed, the bus routes got changed, but they came here at this moment so we get the chance to pray for them, to build relationships with them and their families and share the gospel. I was looking at it, I was like, how many students can fit on a bus? And depending on the size of the bus, it's 70 to 80, which I was like, 80 kids on a bus, that'd be, that'd be a mess. <laughs> So, but I think that this bus probably has somewhere around 36, but 56 is, is probably the, the upper limit of what they would end up doing on this bus. And so that's one opportunity for us to be praying in this community because when we passed out bags, we ran out in a way we've never run out. Last year we had extras, and this year we ran out and had 10 or 12 students left um, that we need, wanted to give bags to. Uh, so we want to be praying for them, but also in Manchester, this week, Harriet and I, mostly Harriet, changed the church sign. Since I got here, and I don't know how long I had been, it had said, Manchester Baptist welcomes you. And I had for a while gone, I don't want to change it to be goofy, but is there a way that we could use our sign to be a blessing? And so we changed it this week to Manchester Baptist prays for you. Because there are, when we had the issue this year with Summer Kids Club, somebody who had, didn't know that our church would put something on that's free for their kids. And so when I think about the people in our church that I know dealing with anxiety, some, some with crippling anxiety that's hard to leave home sometimes, people in our church who deal with uh, depression, people who deal with uh, physical problems, deal with all sorts of relationship issues, then imagine what it's like for those that are outside of our church, that have no church, that have no hope, that have no Christ um, in their lives. And so for me, that causes me to go, there are people driving past our, our church and we get the opportunity to say, God, can you give them hope? Can you give them call, uh, like courage in the face of fear? Um, and so uh, Manchester is you know, another missions opportunity for us to pray for. Scott County, you can see that, that one up there. So Scott County has about 5,000 people. And I um, know some of the pastors in the area and in the region. I go to some of the meetings and the different stuff. And one of the things that I realized uh, that happened in this last year is that the number of uh, Christians attending like-minded churches like ours dropped again in this last year. And so I, was, I have a note here that I don't think is correct. I must have meant something different when I, said, when I saw that. But the, the number... Um, and so that just causes me to go, like, the, there's still a mission field in our area. So there are good churches that we love. Our friends and neighbors in the community are a part of gospel-preaching churches in Scott County. And so there's still a great opportunity there. And in that final picture, it's still pretty small, but it's got Scott County, Morgan County, Green County, Pike County, and then little bits of Brown and Cass on there but ultimately this is the region that god has placed us in and so we pray for wales and celebrate what god's doing there 
and we pray for Spain, and we are praying for uh, multiple other countries around the world. But we want to make sure that we also say, God, there are, as a fee- there are fields white for harvest here. And we want to pray for your blessing. And we want to pray for you to be working. So let's pray that now. Father, we, we thank you that the fields are white for harvest. Not because we see it, but because you have told us that. And we thank you that at all times you are working and that you use your people to reach out. And so we pray right now for the students and their families who come here every day. We pray for those students and their families that were inconvenienced by having to come here instead of whatever their route had been before. I pray, Lord, that you would make divine appointments with them so that they get the chance for the kids and their families to hear the good news of the gospel, to be set free from their bondage to sin, that they would know that they have a good God who loves them. God, we pray that your kingdom would come here on earth as it is in heaven, and we pray your kingdom would come on that school bus as it is in heaven. Father, we pray for all who pass by our church sign. We carry our own burdens, and we know how heavy they can be and how hard they can be. But we also have the hope of Christ and the work of the Spirit in our hearts. And so we imagine how hard it has got to be for people who live in this town or drive through this town who don't have the hope of Christ. And we pray for them, God, that you would, that you would give them hope, Lord, that you would, that you would uh, set up time, uh, divine appointments for us to share the good news of the gospel and the hope that we have within us with the people here in Manchester. God, we pray here in Scott County that you would build up the churches here. We pray for more gospel ministry. We pray for more fruit in the ministries here. We don't want another year to pass by where the churches shrink again. We want there to be more Christians. We want there to be churches that are reaching out. And so we pray your blessing on all of those ministries. We pray for some of the ways that the churches in this area are partnering, like Free Lunch Mondays and some of the other ministries. God, we pray, Lord, that you would give, um, give fruit in each of those ministries. And we pray for our whole region. Green County and Brown County and Cass and Morgan, Scott County. God, you have placed us in this region at this time, and so we thank you. We thank you that your word says that you move people from one place to another so that they will seek you and that they will find you. And so we pray that that will happen more and more and more in our region. God, we pray that you will raise up. We know there are pastors that are either retiring or reaching retirement age and looking to retire. We know there are churches that are looking for pastors. And so we pray that you would send out workers to this area, that you would give them a vision for how you are at work, that you will provide all of the connections that need to happen so that good gospel preaching and good servant leadership would happen all throughout this region. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Tonight we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 22. This is still in the context of where Peter is speaking to believers who are suffering. And he says it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then this is where we get to verse 18. And this is a doozy. You'll see why. <laughs> for Christ also suffered. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 
After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of sin from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So this is the most complicated sentence in the letter of 1 Peter. You can see where he says, uh, made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. This is like the one thing that, that causes us to go, Peter, what are you talking about? But in its context, he's still speaking about suffering. And he's talking about what God can do with suffering because he's already been directing their hearts and their minds to it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And so what I want to show you tonight is in this context again with suffering where, P, where Peter tells us, kind of follows this morning's sermon a little bit, he calls us to look to Jesus so we, to see how God can use suffering for good. And the reason, the reason that's important, and I had a conversation with somebody this weekend, is we all go through suffering. And some is incredibly difficult, and some of it, some of it is incredibly wicked and evil. There are some things, natural disasters, but there are some times where there is evil in the world that is completely wicked, and it, it can be hard for us to wrap our minds around. I think one of the things we have to keep in mind first, I shared this with somebody this weekend, and as we go into this conversation about suffering here in this passage, the Bible tells us, especially in James, but the Bible tells us that God does not do evil, he does not sin, and he does not do wickedness. And so in this passage where Peter is going to say, look to Jesus to see how God can use suffering for good, he's not saying, look, God is out there doing sin because he's going to do good things, that come, make good things come out of it. And so when we're in our hearts as we think about it and as we encourage one another, this, this person I was talking with was saying a, a, a good church-going person was trying to share, well, God was going to use this. It was a completely wicked thing that was done. And the Bible is very clear that God doesn't sin and he does not do evil. And so as we see this, we do see, Peter tells us, but we can look at Jesus and see how, that, how God can use suffering for good. So look at this with me. Verses 18 and 20, uh, Peter says that God used the son's suffering. Verses 18 to 20, for God, or I'm sorry, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, when God waited patiently, or I'm sorry, while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. So uh, you might go, what are you talking about? That's what I, uh, this week I was like, Peter, what is the connection between like going and preaching to the spirits. I know a number of you guys have study Bibles. And so there, I, I understand there are five different ways to understand what is he talking about when he says making proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. I'm not going to go over all five of them. Your study Bible probably has three of them. Uh, 
And if you look at the different resources, each one talks about a few of them. Some of them are not Christian understandings of this passage. But what I think this passage it tells us is happening is that, that even in Jesus' death, in his death, he proclaimed God's victory over Satan, sin, and death. In this, he's, he is saying, not that he goes, I, I don't think that the, under, the best understanding of this is that he went to hell and preached and gave people second chances. But the, it's, it's instead that even in Jesus' death, he, it, he proclaimed God's victory over death and sin. And that is what Peter is trying to draw our attention to. He's, pri- he's trying to say that God used the son's suffering and he declares his, own, his victory even in his death. And so, then, and then he, then that's the, the connection there between, uh, in verse 20, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. The Bible tells us that Noah preached while he built the ark. And so that he was sharing what, they knew under, what, what God had revealed at that time to Noah about God's judgment, about man's responsibility to God. And so in this passage, verses 18 to 20, Peter is saying that God used the son's suffering to proclaim his victory over those who had rejected him in the days of Noah. And, and we can, so, so we don't get lost in the weeds. I, I want to repeat that. That God was using the son's death to proclaim his victory over those who had re- rejected him a long time ago in the days of Noah. This is, this is Peter saying, God is so powerful, he can even use the death of his son to proclaim his victory. So then he's saying, so take heart, look to Jesus when you go through suffering so that you can go, God doesn't do evil and doesn't sin, but he's so powerful that just like he did in Jesus, he can, he can proclaim his victory even through this. John Frame says something along these lines that I think helps me understand this. He says, but it is important for us to recognize that God's sovereign controlling power appears not only in spectacular displays like the miracles of Jesus, but also in, in events in which people perceive him as weak. You see, there's, there's so much of the world, so much even of Christianity, that says that God, God is glorified only when big and amazing and incredible things happen. And yet, here in this passage, we are reminded by Peter. John Frame, I think, expresses that there. Is that, but God, he's so powerful, he doesn't have to have big crowds and powerful displays. He can even take suffering and turn, something, turn it into something good. He can even take what other people intend for evil and use it for blessing. That's how powerful he is. And so Peter is calling to us and saying, look to Jesus to see how God used the son's suffering so that 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 failure according to the Romans and that failure according to the Jews was actually Jesus' great victory. We were singing the song earlier, The Old Rugged Cross, which I don't, do you know how old that is? So in a church that's this old, it's fun to know how old hymns are because then you can go, this church has been singing that song for, I looked at it in the hymnal, it doesn't say the year. No, it just says who wrote it. And a number of them say the year. But the, uh, 
there are old hymns that have been sung for a long, long time. And you, if, you look, if we look back, Harriet and I have been looking through records, we can find records of some of the old, old hymns that we still sing now and that we still love now and go, oh, our church has been singing that for at least 80 years. That song, that song was at one point new in this church. You know, and somebody said, hey, I think we should try this. And I'm sure somebody didn't like it. But I was thinking of that, that, that song, the, the Old Rugged Cross, is, is t- saying, I am going to cling to this thing that the world thinks is shameful. And like, it looks like a failure. It looks like something that is not a victory. It looks like something that nobody wants and that nobody could use is what that song says. And yet I'm going to hold on to it as my treasure. And so Peter is telling the believers in Turkey and he's calling to us and says, look at that old rugged cross so that you can have hope that God will use yours, can do something with your suffering too. He's so powerful that he could turn something ugly into something beautiful. And he can do that for you too. Second thing we, this passage calls us to look to Jesus to see how God can use suffering for good. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 tells us that God used suffering for our redemption. It reminds us that God used suffering for our redemption. Verse 21, And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is trying to, he's, he's talking about Noah, Noah being a preacher, Jesus proclaiming his victory over those who had long ago rejected the preaching of Noah. Then he, he kind of walks into, in Noah's day, eight people were saved through water. He, he's making a comparison with baptism. And so he, he's using this as a picture. But he says that, this, that baptism is not something that saves us because we've been dipped into water, but because it's a picture of what has happened in us. It is a picture that's, that, that symbolizes the the not just, well, we got cleaned on the outside, but from the inside out, our conscience has been cleared towards God. We were saved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter is saying that baptism is a picture of death that has been turned into life. Baptism is a picture of resurrection, and resurrection requires, required the suffering and death of Jesus. He is reminding us that our redemption depends on suffering so that when we suffer, and he's speaking to people who are living as slaves. He is speaking to women who are being mistreated by their husbands. He is speaking to people who are either being currently persecuted by the Romans or will be persecuted by the Romans soon. And he's saying, look at your redemption and be reminded that God is so powerful that he used suffering for your redemption. And isn't that the story of the Bible? It's the story of the Bible of God taking empty things and filling them up. It's it's God who can take Sarah's barrenness and create a people who bless all the peoples of the world. It's, It's the story of Rachel who cannot have a son and yet then has a son and it is through her son that the people of Israel are delivered from famine. But then it's also her sister Leah who is unloved and yet it's through her line that where our Savior came. It's the story of David who didn't, the wilderness was not just incidental, but God used David's wilderness 
and David's suffering in the wilderness to transform David, but ultimately to lead, lead to, the, to the Savior Jesus. That God's way is that he can, he can and has always taken suffering that is wicked and evil, but he turns it, what somebody else intended for evil, and he turns it and uses it for blessing. So Peter is then saying, so you can trust him when you suffer. You can trust him when a family member turns on you and then everybody else misunderstands and turns on you too. You can trust that the God who could use Sarah's barrenness can also use what you're going through. That when you're dealing with whatever that, that physical ailment that just doesn't let up and you feel it in the middle of the night and it just keeps going, Peter is saying God can turn that suffering and you turn it for good. And then the third thing that we see in this passage, look to Jesus to see how God can use suffering for good. Verse 22 tells us that God does not let suffering have the last word. God does not let suffering have the last word. Verse 22, speaking of Jesus Christ, he says, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels and authorities and powers in submission to him. Because, Peter has been outlining Jesus' suffering. His, his death, his declaration of victory even in his death, Jesus', Jesus, um, uh, Jesus redemption in his suffering. But then in verse 22, he says, but now he is at God's right hand. And, he just, and Peter uses multiple, uh, multiple um, words for the most powerful things you can think of. Jesus, who suffered and died, is now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and angels are under his feet. Authorities are under his feet. Powers are under his feet. The Romans are under his feet. The Jewish leaders are under his feet. He's saying, everybody that, is, that would oppress you is under his feet. Everybody that thought they were going to win in what they did to Jesus are under his feet. Peter is reminding us that Jesus' suffering was not the last word. Jesus' suffering was a chapter in the story that's leading to redemption, that's leading to victory, that's leading to authority, that's leading to joy. I was reminded this week as I was reading Isaiah in my read through the Bible, I often think that Revelation is the main part of the Bible that talks about the end of death. The death of death. That one day every tear is going to be wiped from your eyes. But I found that's actually in Isaiah 2. That one day the shadow of death is going to be gone. And I was like, oh, the whole story's been headed there. It's not just a surprise that once, well, sure enough, once we get to Revelation, then we now know, oh, this is what God is up to. No, back in Isaiah, God says, this is what I'm up to. That there is coming a day when death will be no more. The whole thing has been leading to this moment when everything is in submission to Jesus. Suffering does not have the last word. It's not just, and this is, the, I think, the hope. It's not just that God can use suffering. It's not that Jesus, God has used suffering. It's that one day the final word is going to be different. And so I think Peter is calling the, the believers in Turkey to fix their eyes on Jesus Christ who suffered, yes, but now who is at the, in heaven at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. That's the fixed point that Peter wants us to have in our minds when life is so unstable and life is so difficult. He wants us to have our, our eyes there. 
A few years ago, uh, a friend uh, called me up and said, the conditions are perfect on Lake Michigan. I'm going to take my sailboat out. Are you free this afternoon? And I was like, I've never been out on a sailboat. That sounds awesome. Let me get my stuff together and I'll get over there. And we'll get up. We talked about this before, but you can't plan for like the day that the conditions are going to be perfect. I didn't know this. I mean, so, and Lake Michigan is, you, you, many of you have seen it. You, you know, Lake Michigan looks a lot more like an ocean than a lake. And uh, so we get there. I got in a rush and I forgot something that was really important because I needed Dramamine. When I was in high school, I once went to the county fair and bought the, the wristband that allowed you to do all the rides as many times as you wanted. And I used it until I threw up. And so every, ever since that point, my equilibrium is off and I get motion sick. So when I fly, it's not the greatest experience. I uh, try, take some Dramamine and I just try to relax and just say, hey, I'm going to be miserable for a few hours. So that's kind of how it is. Well, that day I was, I was in a rush. I grabbed some things because I knew it could be cool out on the lake. So I grabbed, um, I grabbed a long sleeve shirt. I grabbed my stuff. We get out there. He tries to teach us how to do the rigging on a sail. And I know a few of those words now, but I had no idea what I was doing. And we like made up new things to do with ropes on this, you know, he was kind of laughing at us. He was like, what are you even doing? How did you do this? And I was like, I don't know. You just said do that, you know, wind up the rope. And I just made sense. So we get out there. Finally, the sail gets up there. The wind takes it. And we go out on the lake. We get farther and further out. And I just go, I am missing my Dramamine. This is, this is getting worse and worse and worse. Hey there, buddy. <laughs> this is getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I, like, it just, I don't know if, it, if the waves just kept picking up or if they just started picking up in me. But the longer we were out there, the sicker I got until eventually I was just over the side of the boat just vomiting. Just, and it just it wouldn't stop. I, and I'm, I'm sure some pregnant women know what, what that feeling is like. You just can't stop. And just, I just kept eating until all my lunch was up and everything was gone. And then I was like, and so he, I don't want to ruin everybody else's party. Like, you know, there were, I think there were six or seven people that were helping with this because it was a pretty big boat. And I was like, I don't want to demand that they take me back. And so I'm just going to choose to be out close to the edge so that next time it hits, I can vomit. And I'm just going to wish that this comes to an end. And so we had, it was a beautiful day. It was kind of fun. There's good lessons to learn. And it, but I just had to wait it out because until my feet were on solid ground, like I just wasn't going to feel okay. Like there, there's nothing to do. I could fix my eyes on the horizon. I could do all sorts of things. But my balance isn't good enough anymore. And so I needed my feet on solid ground. I think that First Peter is trying to give people who are suffering solid ground to put our feet on. And he says, put it in the gospel where the God of the universe is so powerful that he doesn't just have to have miracles to show how powerful he is. He's so powerful, he can even use suffering. He can even use suffering and turn what other people mean for evil and he can instead turn that to blessing. The solid ground that you and I need when, when life comes at us hard is the solid ground ultimately that Jesus Christ in His life 
and in his death and in his resurrection, suffering did not have the last word so that now everything is under his authority. The solid ground that we need when we wonder how long is this going to go on, when we go through life and say, is slander going to have the last word? No, it's not. Is abandonment going to have the last word? No, it's not. Is this suffering going to have the last word? No, it's not. Peter is saying, fix your feet on the foundation that Jesus has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with the angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And God has used suffering for your redemption, but that will not always be, suffering will not always be so. Fix your feet in this place. And this is the invitation in the gospel that we say to each other every week in the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and in the sermons that we hear is that Jesus who lived and died and was resurrected for us, he gives us a firm place to put our feet in the middle of suffering. So let's look to Jesus and see how God can use suffering for good. And Jesus, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that suffering doesn't have the last word in Jesus and so that all who trust in him and throw all of their, their trust on him can trust that suffering won't have the last word in our lives either. None of the stories that have been told, none of the things that have been done, none of those things will be the truest and most lasting thing. Instead, the thing that is going to last is Jesus, King over all. Give us that place this week to fix our feet. In Jesus' name.